0: Go ahead and have a seat. Welcome to Village Church. This is your first time here. My name is Steve. one of the pastors here at Village Church, and as always, I'm thankful and grateful to see each and every one of you. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it to Matthew 28. We're going to be looking, beginning at verse 19, going to other scriptures as well. But for the final two weeks of our series, as we take a look at the Church of Jesus Christ, uh, we're going to take a look at the two ordinances that Jesus has given to his church. This week, we're going to look at baptism. Next week, we will look at uh, what's either called the Lord's Supper or communion by many. Uh, But today, I want to talk about the issue of baptism. Baptism. Now, to put all the cards on the table, at Village Church, we are Baptists, and kind of fundamentally, that means that we practice what is called Believer's Baptism. And so we reserve baptism to those who have already professed faith in Jesus Christ. And this would put us uh, different uh, than Presbyterians, uh, different from people who practice infant baptism or credo baptism, or excuse me, or paedo baptism, uh, which is practiced by many Lutherans, Presbyterians, as I said. It's uh, practiced in the Roman Catholic Church, but there's a far different reason that they do that. And so we practice believer's baptism because fundamentally it's just simply not in the Bible. Uh, it's, It's nowhere to be found in Scripture. And so this separates us in practice. It separates us in belief. And today I kind of want to spend some time fleshing that out. The fact that we don't kind of have the freedom to put on Scripture ideas, even if we think that they're good ideas, even if we think uh, they fundamentally give a better vision for family or uh, for whatever reason, we simply do not have the freedom to put into the text something that is not in the text of Scripture. And so what I want to do this morning is kind of look at Scripture and not necessarily give a huge theological treatise on baptism, but instead just kind of aid you uh, to have a biblical understanding of baptism, but also understand applicably what the practice of baptism does in aiding you to understand first your life in Christ, but then secondly, your life of growing in discipleship, of learning what it is to follow Jesus and obey him in all of your life. And so in scripture, baptism is not a kind of, a optional practice. Rather, it's treated as a first step of obeying Jesus in the new life in Christ. It is not the power of salvation. That is through the grace of Jesus Christ alone, by faith alone. Rather, it is a picture of rising to the new life that is yours through the power of the Holy Spirit to glorify God in the rest of the days of your life by obeying Jesus. Baptism then is basically an initiatory rite or practice of being joined together with the death of Christ as well as the new life through the resurrection of Christ as well as entering into his body, the church of Jesus Christ. And so it's a picture of the cleansing power of the cross, the life that's given to you in resurrection, and a submission to giving your life to the will of God in every day of your life. And so I want to read this first, what I would look at as a primary text of baptism, which is where just after the resurrection, Jesus gives it as kind of a initiatory command to the new-founded church of Jesus Christ in Matthew 28. Here's what he says, starting in verse 19. It says, Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now... This being the kind of first command that Jesus gives into the life of his new founded church. He's getting ready to ascend into heaven. He's already established in verse 18 that in light of the fact that I just rose from the dead, I have all authority in heaven and on earth. That's what he means when he says, because of this, go therefore, make disciples of all nations. And what's that first step of discipleship that he gives? baptizing them. Baptizing who? Disciples. And so from the very first place that Jesus tells his church that they are to baptize people, he gives them the vision that baptism is for disciples of Christ. And then he says, you baptize, you teach them to follow everything that I have told you, and I'm going to be with you every step of the way. And so the first thing that we see in this text is that Christians are the ones that are to be baptized, and so baptism is for Christians. I couldn't put it much more simple than that. Uh, I just want to be very upfront with you that if you are not a Christian, baptism is not for you. If you are not a Christian, baptism doesn't even make sense for you. Baptism does not have any significance for you. And so the way that the Scriptures always present baptism is to link it with coming under the authority of Jesus Christ so that you can have a public obedience seen that you are living in submission to the authority of Jesus Christ and so out of the new testament the only examples that you see of baptism is with christians the uniform pattern that you see throughout the new testament is conversion to faith in Christ then baptism And so the argument for infant baptism, I'll be quite frank with you, is not convincing. Um, So when I was a young theologian, when I was just coming up uh, in ministry in my very early 20s, probably my late teens even... You know, you're looking at all the theology that's ever existed in the history of the church. It's overwhelming. You go through cage-stage Calvinism. You want to argue with everybody. All right, and you say, man, well, Presbyterians have some pretty good uh, arguments for some things over here. And so I spent like three days as a Presbyterian. All right, it was about three days. I said, you know what? They have so many good ideas. All of their ideas must be really, really good. And then I got to infant baptism. And I said, well, clearly... Such an important practice. It's different from what I was raised in. I was raised in a Baptist church. I said, clearly, they must have a biblical reason for baptizing infants. And I will tell you, I've been looking for over 20 years for the biblical reason for infant baptism. It's simply not there. Now, I love my Presbyterian brothers and sisters, and I agree with them on many, many things, all right? But I will tell you, the doctrine of infant baptism is just not found in Scripture. You do not see, and I would say, for such a vital practice... For something that is as important as it's worthy of the last thing that Jesus tells his people, you need to baptize them. There is not one instance in the old, new, anywhere of an infant being baptized. And so vital practices and vital commands in Scripture, I want to tell you what the normative practice is. The normative practice for something that every follower of Jesus Christ is supposed to submit him or herself to is that there is is either both a narrative in Scripture describing the event and what it is to look like and usually a prescriptive narrative kind of admonition to the church in somewhere in the epistles of the New Testament from the apostles to a church. There's usually both, but regardless, there's either then, if there isn't both, there's either a narrative describing it or a prescriptive text that is telling you, do this, this is how you do it, because we don't want you to get it wrong. You do not have anything where that is concerned for infant baptism. And I know if you're in here and, and you're kind of uh, Presbyterian light, uh, some of you I know i have conversations about baptism. You're Presbyterian leaning. And so I always try to pull you the other way because I don't want you to fall off the cliff into a false doctrine. Uh, but the reality is that the only thing that you see in the New Testament is believer's baptism. There are narratives about believers' baptism, and there are prescriptions about believers' baptism. And so when Presbyterians say, but what you don't understand is that in the book of Acts, it says they baptized this guy and his entire household. Do you think every household has an infant? Mine doesn't. see a lot of people with gray hair, but yours doesn't. All right. I am, my youngest is six. I have no infants. I have a son that's very young, but he's not an infant. He's not a toddler. He talks now. He walks now. He eats more than he's ever eaten, of food that I used to think was mine now. <laughs> Sometimes he says all sorts of words I don't want him to say. You know, but he's not an infant. So if you were to look at a text, let's say that I was not a follower of Jesus, an evangelist, someone comes to my household, uh, expresses what faith in Jesus Christ is. I come to faith in Jesus Christ and it says, and you were to say, man, and, and Steve's entire household was baptized. There wouldn't be an infant present because we don't have any infants that I know of. Jesse might be hiding something from me, but I feel like I would figure it out. I'm a pretty sharp guy. All right. So, no infants in my house. And so, to argue that the evidence in the New Testament for infant baptism is bound up when it says entire households were baptized is what is called an argument from silence. And that is not a valid argument. Oftentimes, what that actually is, it's called eisegesis, which in every other instance, Well-meaning Christians reject because eisegesis means you take meaning from outside and put it onto the text. Exegesis is what is a good practice is to look into the text and draw your meaning directly from it. There is no way to exegete infant baptism from anywhere in scripture without putting your personal assumptions on top of it. So everything that we know in the scripture, reveals to us that baptism is for Christians specifically because it is a picture of the cleansing from sin and rising to new life. And so if you want a very just easy sentence to explain what baptism is, baptism is a picture of the cleansing from sin and rising to new life. And so in biblical history... Baptism was a cleansing ritual mainly for Gentiles converting to Jewish practices. And so, in the Old Testament period, there were people who were not ethnically born Jewish. They were not born of the nation of Israel, but whether it was uh, through uh, some kind of personal relationship, whether it was through a national domination, there were Gentiles who became Jews, religiously speaking. And so, one of the necessary elements, historically, of becoming a Jew in religion was that you had to go through the cleansing ceremony of baptism because Gentiles were unclean because of their heritage as not being of the chosen people of God and they would partly, not fully but part of it was, they would be baptized to as a picture of becoming clean so that they could worship with the Jews, so that they could share table fellowship with the Jews because it represented a change of life in which their sinful uncleanness was cleansed from them. Then then you also would see in the priesthood, before they would enter in to the inner court, or before they were entering into the holy place, or especially before they were to enter into the Holy of Holies, they would go through a baptismal cleansing as a picture of being cleansed to offer sacrifices for the nation of Israel. Then in the New Testament, when you begin to look at the gospel accounts, you see John the Baptist, baptizing Jews, and what did it represent? It represented them repenting of heartless religion in which the tradition of man was greater than the biblical God and what he had given them, and they would be baptized to signify their repentance and new heart in following God for what he has revealed in Scripture. Then, one example of this is in Matthew chapter 3, starting in verse 13, Jesus Christ himself, goes to John the Baptist and says, John, I want you to baptize me. Why would Jesus do that? Jesus did that first to initiate his earthly ministry, but secondly, not because Jesus had sin of his own to repent for. The scripture is very clear. He had none. But as the beginning of what is his substitutionary work for his people, the church. And so in being baptized, Jesus was identifying himself with his people to show, I am now entering into a work in which I will put myself in the place of you. And you see the miraculous happen. Jesus is lifted out of the water. The father looks at him. The the Holy Spirit in the shape of a dove descends upon him. And the father says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased And so the significance of Jesus' baptism is all about his substitutionary work for us. We didn't just need Jesus to substitute himself for us on the cross under the wrath of God. We needed the life of Jesus to be lived in substitution for us so that his perfect righteousness could be transferred over to us. And that was the significance of his baptism. For our baptism... It's for us to enter into the life of Christ. The scripture is very, very clear. I want you to look in Acts chapter 2. This is the first place where people come, uh, that's recorded that a group of people come to faith in Christ from the preaching of... ...of the apostles. In Acts chapter 2, the apostle Peter is speaking. Go back this afternoon, read the sermon that he gives. It's a pretty good one. Uh, he gives the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then in verse 37, it says, now when they heard this, what did they hear? They heard the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are sinners... You need to be cleansed of your sin. You need to be forgiven by God. Good news. Jesus has done the work so that that can happen. And it says, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter tells them the good news and they believed. They believed it. That's why they look to him and they say, we're in trouble. Everything that you're saying is true. We are sinners. We killed Jesus Christ. He died for our sin. What's our response now that we believe? And Peter looks to them. The narrative shows us not because baptism is what saves we know that it's not based on the rest of the New Testament, but because it is a public response to show a change of allegiance of life. If you read the entire book of Acts, which is a good practice, you should do it. You see a fivefold essential response to the gospel by everybody. You see these five elements every single time. First, you see repentance you see that they realize they are sinners in the hands of an angry God. They need salvation from their sin, and they want to turn away from their sin. But here's the deal. Repentance is vital because when you turn away from your sin, you've got to turn to something or someone. You've got to. And that something or someone is Jesus Christ. And so the vital element number two is faith. You're placing your faith, your trust, your life in someone's hands. And that someone is Jesus Christ because salvation is only available through him. Then thirdly, you always see confession. Romans chapter 10 tells us if you call out to the name of God, you must confess with your mouth that he is Lord. You confess the name of Jesus Christ. And then fourthly, you always see the gift of the Holy Spirit. Everywhere in the New Testament, when someone comes to faith in Jesus Christ, they're baptized with the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Spirit is given into your life. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have the life of God in your life. The Holy Spirit is in you for the purpose of empowering you and strengthening you to follow Jesus Christ because you can't do it under your own strength. God knows that you can't do it under your own strength. You need His power to do it. And the fifth element is always baptism. Baptism is always commanded, it's always instructed, it's always involved. It is repentance and faith that always saves. But at salvation, there will also be the evidence of salvation, which is always confession, the spirit, and the public response of baptism. And so, baptism is and always has been a picture of the work of God's saving power in your life. It's God who transforms you through the miracle of what is called regeneration, what Jesus meant in John 3 when he said, you must be born again. It's the transformative work that the Holy Spirit does to take you from dead in your sin to alive through faith in Christ Jesus that's what it means to be born again. And so two questions to finish this point. The first one. What then does it mean to be a Christian? It is someone who responds to the gospel of Jesus by repenting of sin to believe in Jesus. A Christian is someone who responds to the gospel of Jesus by repenting of sin to believe in Jesus. But here's a vital element of even that definition. What is belief? Belief is more than agreement. It is a submission to the authority of God's saving power and dominion over your life. Belief is a submission to the authority of God's saving power and dominion over your life. Baptism then represents that change. Baptism represents that change. But it's more than that. Secondly, this morning, baptism is about discipleship. Baptism is about discipleship. Now, people that practice infant baptism connect infant baptism with circumcision in the Old Testament, where to identify this as someone who is born ethnically Jewish, they would baptize their children on the eighth or their sons on the eighth day of his life. And so they say, well, the reason that we baptize infants, even though we don't in any way do it the way that they would have done circumcision in the Old Testament, is because it is the same as circumcision. Nowhere in Scripture do you see that connection made. You don't see it anywhere. Because baptism is about discipleship. And I don't know if you've ever noticed, but infants are an unrepentant bunch. I mean, they are rascals. They are never sorry for what they do. They never apologize. Usually they're really, really disobedient. I mean, I remember there were some nights at 3 a.m. when I was trying to cast demons out of my kids because I was like, they cannot possibly be so sinful that they won't listen to me when I say stop crying over and over and over. All right, and so even exercising demons didn't even work. All right, they just kept crying until I gave them what they wanted. So sinful that they won't even verbalize, This is what I want. They are tyrants. But infants can't be discipled, they can't be. Only followers of Jesus Christ can be discipled, only Christians can be discipled. That's the New Testament norm. So the necessity of baptism is a primary issue. But I also want you to understand that you can't grow in your faith the way that God wants you to grow in your faith after you've come to faith in Jesus Christ unless you're baptized. Why? Baptism is an imperative. That means that it is a command. That that means it is something that God says, you must do this. And so if you have not been baptized, then you will always have at least one place in your life where there is willful disobedience against a command of God. And so you might say, well, yeah, but... It's not, you know, some obvious immorality. I just don't like going up in front of people, all right? I'm scared of being, I don't know how you get in front of everybody every week. I don't want to be up in front of everybody. And I always say, it's okay. I'll be up here with you. I've got to do the hard work, all right? You're just the glad recipient of me, all right? But some people have also told me, but I, you don't know, I am so scared of water. To which I always ask, well, I hope you showered this morning. To which usually they say, I did. To which I ask, did you use water? And I hope they did. All right. And to which they look at, they start looking at me weird then. And then they say, well, yeah. And I say, well, then you're not that scared of water. And then they, this is what people always tell me, and I'm telling you, somebody in here, probably most of you, at some point in your life, if you stay here long enough and you have enough conversations with me, you're going to look at me and you're going to say, but you don't understand. To which I usually do because you're not a unique snowflake. You're just like everybody else. But to which sometimes I'll say about your fear of water. Well, yeah, I'm not afraid of water. And they say, but I am. I'm afraid that once you put me under the water, you're not going to bring me back up. To which I say, number one, I'm batting a 1,000. Haven't lost anyone yet. (laughs) Number two, you're being unreasonable. You must ask yourself, what does Steve have to gain from drowning me? (laughs) publicly at that. I'll lose everything. I mean, I'll lose my job. I'll lose my career. My wife's going to be confused. You know what a monster I was. My kids are probably going to be taken away from me. I mean, I have everything to lose if I don't bring you up. Even if I just kind of play around and I'm like, I'm going to hold you another 15 seconds, get a little scare out of you. That minimum, that's assault. Assault. At minimum, all right? I have no desire to be arrested for assault. I never leave anyone under there more than two or three seconds. And in the history of man's struggle against the beast of water, no one has drowned in two or three seconds. It takes a lot longer than that. And so I promised the person, I will bring you up to which everybody says, but you don't understand. And at that point, I just look at you and say, yeah, I don't. I don't. You either want to obey Jesus or you don't. It's that simple, friends. With the issue of baptism, here's what Pastor Bob Jamieson says. He says, if you are a Christian and you have not been baptized, you need to be. It's not merely optional or recommended or wise or the best thing to do. It's required. And while being a disciple of Jesus means more than obeying Jesus' commands, it never means less. Our obedience to Jesus is the litmus test of our love for him. Because Jesus tells us in the book of John, he says, If you love me, you will obey my commands. No matter how insignificant you think the command is, no matter how meaningless you think, The ritual is, no matter how awkward you're going to find it, no matter how embarrassed you are, no matter how nervous you are, if Jesus commands it and you love Jesus, you will submit your life to it as evidence of your desire to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so I'll tell you, Friends, you're never going to grow to be the disciple that Jesus wants you to be so long as there is places of disobedience in your life. Matthew 28 directly connects baptism to discipleship. Discipleship is about learning to follow and obey Jesus. That is what growth in your spiritual life looks like. There is no other way to grow. And so in correlation to that, Jesus connects making disciples and being taught to observe all that he commanded in Matthew 28 there to the practice of baptism. Galatians 3.27, the apostle Paul further draws an important synergy between baptism and following Jesus. He says, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on on Christ. And so he's using baptism there. And the word baptism in the original language is baptizo, which literally means to be immersed into something. He's drawing a word picture between the practice of baptism to the life of Christ. And that's why immersion is important. We don't sprinkle here. We don't pour water here. We immerse you into the water because Paul paints a picture, this is about being immersed into the life of Christ. And so the language that he says, what he uses when he says, put on Christ, it is the same language that you would use for putting on clothing. So the word picture here is just like baptism, you put off the death of sin and you put on the life of Jesus Christ, which is brand new. You are immersed into the life of Christ, and the picture for that is being immersed into the water of baptism. It signifies that you are putting on the righteousness of Jesus Christ through his life, his death, and his resurrection. And again, this only happens upon regeneration. This does not happen during infancy, no matter who your parents are. And so baptism represents the real-life change that faith in the gospel makes. Theologian Thomas Schreiner notes that submersion is an apt picture because it demonstrates that death overwhelms and conquers its subject's Pouring and sprinkling simply do not have that effect. The newness of life then is represented by emerging out of that water alive. I mean, it is true. If you stay underwater too long, you're going to drown, you're going to die. That's the point of the picture. You're immersed into it to show that you are dead in your sin, but then you immediately come out of it. Why? Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because you have a brand new life. Romans chapter 6 puts it this way. Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Baptism, then, is a picture of the spiritual reality laid out in that text. It's this picture of the newness of life that you have entered by being born again, by being regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit, by being transformed into the life of Christ, and that you will now walk into growth through faith in Jesus Christ. And so here at Village Church... We have a, the way that we do baptism. I don't know if you've noticed, we don't do impromptu baptisms because we want to ensure that we're doing our job as pastors. We want to ensure that you understand what it is that you're doing. And so if you express the interest in baptism, which if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you've been following Jesus for 10 years, you've been following Jesus for six months, you've been following Jesus for five months, friend, you need to be baptized. Uh, You know, it's designed to be that first step of obedience, but even if it's going to be the 732nd step for you, it's a step you still need to take. Um, And the key is here at Village Church, we give give you a four-week course. On Christianity, so that we can ensure you have the opportunity to really understand what faith in Jesus Christ is. You have the opportunity to ask a pastor questions. You have the opportunity to express your doubts. You have an opportunity to say, Hey, I didn't understand this. Can you further clarify this, that, or the other thing? And then after that class, yeah, you go through an interview with a pastor. And it's not a you know we're not expecting you to have a seminary education we're not expecting you even to have ever read a book about uh, theology it's not some theological treatise we basically ask you two questions we say hey tell me about how you came to faith in Jesus Christ and then we ask a second question what is the gospel do you understand and I'll tell you we cheat a lot we offer the uh, answers I mean just we we bring in the answer book and we say do you need to take a peek all right because we want you to be a Christian we want you to understand and so it's not like oh you failure get out false convert I know some people are really nervous about it, and it's like, look, we're for you here. Again, what do I have to gain if I call you a failure? I have nothing to gain. Well, but what we do is, is we say, okay, when you said this, did you, did you mean that? <laughs> when, when you say this, do you understand what that means? And Hey, here's the deal. If you come and you have a conversation with us about baptism, and we say, hey, we don't think you're ready, that's not us rejecting you, that's us protecting you. That's us protecting you from having what many, many people in our nation have, and that is false assurance. That's where someone gets baptized, and then in a couple of years, they're not following Jesus Christ. They have no fruit of salvation that's ever emerged from their lives. They're not being discipled. They're not in church. They have no connection to the body of Christ, nor do they have any desire to have connection to the body of Christ. But they will look at you and say, but I was baptized. That's false assurance, and that's what we want to protect people from. What age should someone be baptized? Now, I'll be honest, we only baptize people um, 12 or older. Uh, And now, you might say, that's an arbitrary number. Where is it in Scripture? It's not in Scripture. So, let me just tease that out for you, why we wait until someone is 12 years old uh, to be baptized. In my experience as a pastor, being a Christian is more than knowing a lot of facts. And so I've had conversations about the gospel, about Christianity, about baptism, with a lot, a lot, a lot of very young children. Because I fully understand why parents are passionate about their children getting baptized. I have three kids. I'm very passionate about them being followers of Jesus Christ. I want them to be baptized. But... I always caution people, don't be too quick to run your children up to the baptismal water as though that is what is going to save them because it won't. I was raised in the church of Jesus Christ, I was raised in a Baptist church, and I was raised with a lot of other young men and young women who were baptized at a very young age. And I will tell you, they have no faith as adults. They're not following Jesus, but they often will tell, and I've had these conversations with many of them because I love talking to former classmates because I want them to be followers of Jesus Christ and they will tell me i was baptized that's how i know i'm going to heaven and we have and i have personally baptized so many adults who have told me for years my faith was bound up in my baptism as a child but i wasn't a christian i became a christian later it's easy to regurgitate the of the gospel to someone, what I like to call the baseball card facts of Jesus Christ. You know, when you look at the back of the baseball card, you see everybody's stats for the previous years. Well, he was born in Bethlehem to the Virgin Mary, died on the cross, was raised on the third day, he'll return again. Bingo, Christian. That's the baseball card facts of Jesus Christ. Salvation is more than that. When I'm talking to someone about uh, salvation, I want to know, do you understand the weight of sin? Do you understand the weight of what Jesus Christ did for you? Do you understand the weight of what it means to turn from your sin and trust in Jesus Christ? And in my experience as a pastor, I feel the need to kind of put a little fence around the water. And I have found through my many years in youth ministry that it's around middle school when you can begin to have conversations where kids start to understand the weightiness of disobedience. The weightiness of their sin. The weightiness of even what it means to disobey their mother and father. Which is usually about the totality of what a 12 year old repents of. I'm not saying you can't get saved until you're 12 years old, but I think for a young child, the most important path of discipleship is obeying mom and dad. And then at 12, they can begin to usually have conversations where they understand the weight of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that is something that we have chosen as pastors. And I understand that the opinions vary about what they think about us doing that. But I want to just tell you, It's not because I don't want people to get baptized. I want people to get baptized. I'll tell you, I would rather burn in hell forever than my kids go to hell. Right? And so I have the same rule for my kids. A lot of people think my kids have it easier uh, than other people's kids around here. And some issues, that's 100% true. They have free reign of this building, and I don't care what anybody thinks of it. All right? All right? Daddy's in charge, and they get the benefits. Okay? But when it comes to the baptism interview, it is a theological treatise with my kids, all right? They have to write Calvin's Institutes verbatim, (laughs) all right? Now, my son was baptized last Easter, one of the greatest days of my life, and he had to go through multiple interviews. All right, I would give him a little bit of an interview, then I'd go back and be like, hey, uh, what is the weight of sin, son? All right, and so he had to go through a bunch of interviews with me, long treatises. I wanted to make sure he understood the gospel. And then I made him go through another interview with another pastor. Uh, so that I could be sure that I wasn't hindering my son's faith and I wasn't rushing him too quickly to the water so that he understood what it meant to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Do not be too hasty in throwing them in the water, but instead seek certainty to to the validity of their faith. Do you see fruit? Mom and dad, are you having gospel conversations with your kids? Are you ensuring that you have a gospel witness to the lives of your children, okay? The water's not going to save them. Faith in Jesus Christ is what is going to save those kids. Now, my suggestion for many here at Village Church, though, even as adults, is that you need to take an honest evaluation of even your own faith, if you were baptized as a child, maybe you did understand the gospel. Maybe you did come to faith in Jesus Christ. I've met many people who literally had real conversions at five and six years old. I didn't. I was a rascal. It took me a little bit longer to get it. But... Are you banking your salvation on your faith in Jesus Christ, or are you banking your salvation on a ritual of religious practice that you went through many, many years ago? Some of you adults, you need to be rebaptized. I fully believe that, and we will fully help you with that here at Village Church. But thirdly, this morning, understand also, baptism is a testimony about the gospel. It's for Christians. For your discipleship, but it's also a vital testimony in really three different ways. First, it is you submitting your life to Jesus Christ through obedience. Understand that I think baptism is a weird symbol on purpose. Right. Where else would you go in front of a crowd of people in swim trunks where there's a horse trough at the front of the auditorium? We bought it at Tractor Supply. It's not like holy tin. It's a horse trough. <laughs> All right filled with lukewarm, if you're lucky, water, some of you know what I'm talking about because you were baptized here, if if the heaters were working and we remembered to turn them on, it's lukewarm water, and you get baptized in it, and the uh, name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit brought up out of the water, and everybody claps for you. That's pretty weird. But I think it's weird on purpose because God wants you to submit to His authority in your life. And He says, Are you willing to make a public declaration that makes no sense if you don't understand the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are you willing to do that? Secondly, it identifies you with the work of Jesus Christ for your life. You are lowered into the water like His death, you are raised out of the water like His resurrection. You go into water which has the universal symbol of physical cleansing but for spiritual cleansing. It identifies you with the life of Christ. But have you ever considered the third symbol? The third symbol is that confession. It's that profession of faith. Baptism puts you into a position where albeit not verbally, You actively through a physical practice proclaim to everyone in the room, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. For many people, baptism is the first time they publicly bear witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to the life of Christ, to the death of Christ, to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is you publicly proclaiming, I'm in the church of Christ. Won't you join me? Won't you join me? It's a moment that is about your relationship with Jesus. In Colossians 2, verse 11, the Apostle Paul says, In him you also were were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of, of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Now you might be saying, Steve, earlier you said there's no connection to circumcision. But don't be too hasty. What does he say after the symbol of circumcision in Christ? Does he say your children are added into the covenant community? No. What does he say? He starts talking about faith in Christ. He starts talking about people who are already redeemed by Christ. He talks about people who are already following Jesus Christ. He's saying the circumcision that Christ gives you is not physical identification. It is spiritual faith that changes your life. Friends, baptism shows a public submission to Jesus Christ that is unlike anything else you will ever do in your life, where you publicly declare your allegiance to Jesus and show that through the symbol of baptism. It is a testimony of what Jesus has done and what you hope He will continue to do in your life through the power of the Holy Spirit in the days that are yet to come. A few application points this morning. First, baptism should be obeyed in the way the Bible dictates. Baptism should be obeyed in the way the Bible dictates. We are not free to put our assumptions, our desires, our hopes, and our wants onto what God commands. We must simply submit to his commands in the Bible. Secondly, baptism is the first command to obedience after coming to faith in Christ. It's that first command, so you should obey it. Thirdly, baptism is an outward symbol of an inward reality. It is an outward symbol of an inward reality. Fourthly, baptism publicly professes your faith in Jesus. That is why it is so significant. That is why it is so vital.